So uh, about 10 years ago, when uh, Lovey Smith was the coach for the Chicago Bears, I was invited to uh, a Bears practice. And uh, I brought this up at the dinner table that night. I said, I've been invited to a Bears practice. I said, you know, probably nothing will come of it. I'm sure they want me to run, run some 40s and throw some passes. And it probably won't work out, but, you know. And my boys just looked at me with complete disdain and contempt. Like, could you possibly be more of a dork than you are. Uh, But I did get invited. I did go. And two things really stand out as I remember that uh, practice. The first was uh, how big and fast and strong they are, right? Uh, My experience with, with any professional sport, you can't believe how hard the tennis serves are. You can't believe, you know, how fast the baseball pitches are. When you get up close and you're actually there, I remember watching these guys from just a couple feet away and and thinking as one of them was running down the field, is there a scenario under which I would try to stop somebody like that? Like I would go, okay, it's just me between you and the end zone and I'm going to hit you and try and slow you down. And I thought, no, there isn't a scenario. I would not do it. So, so one is, you know, how big and strong and fast they are. The second thing that's, that, that really jumped out at me was how much like uh, seventh grade football practice an NFL practice is. You know, they come out there, they sort of stretch, they lay around, they're yakking at each other, then they get the rest of their gear on, and they go through some calisthenics, and then you go to your, your position coach, and, and you run some drills, and then the first team offense and the second team defense line up, and the second team uh, offense and the first team def- uh, defense line up, and you run some more plays, and then at the end, maybe there's a little bit of a scrimmage, but then you, you run some sprints, and you're done. It's like, I remember that from 40 years ago. It hasn't changed. And here's the point. Uh, we never get past the basics. I mean, I've been, I've been at, at NBA practices. They practice dribbling. They practice free throws. They practice layups. They set picks, right? I've been to PGA events. The pros hit range balls. They go to the putting green. They hit shots out of the sand. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, this is like when you're teaching a six-year-old how to golf. You, you do these things. You never graduate past the basics. You might do them at a different level, but you're still doing the basics. And the same thing holds true for us as we pursue Christ. We don't graduate past prayer and Bible study and worship and, as it turns out, singing. So this is the way forward. We've been looking at the kinds of things that we can do to position ourselves so that The Spirit of God is going to change our heart. He said, look, we cannot decide, I'm going to be kinder. I'm going to be more patient. I'm simply going to be, right, more disciplined. We we don't have that ability to change our heart, but God will change our heart. And there are things that he says, this is the posture we embrace, we adopt, in order to be in a position where the Spirit of God is going to move and change us. And so we've looked at confession and, and prayer. We've looked at Bible study. We've looked at meditation, you know, rest and discipline. We, we, we looked last week at communion, community. And I want us today to think about singing, which is not the same thing as worship. They are very closely related, but I want to focus in, in particular on singing. As it turns out, 
there are 400 plus passages in the Bible that talk about singing. And, and 50 of them are in the imperative. They are commands. So uh, Psalm 95 and 96 and 98 and Psalm 105 and 149. You can just go down the list that say, sing to the Lord. Sing to God. Sing your praises. I mean, there's this, they have an exclamation point after them. They're commands. <laughs> We're instructed to sing. And uh, it's not just the Psalms. Uh, we see this throughout the Bible. Exodus chapter 15 is the first time that singing comes up. It turns out that after uh, Moses led the people out of Egypt, and, and they've gone through, the Red Sea has parted and they have been delivered, that what they do, Moses stops them and they sing a song. Right? That's their response. And in, uh, in the book of Judges, we see all kinds of songs that are being sung. And in 1 Chronicles, after the Ark of the Covenant comes back out of the land of the Philistines into Israel, David leads the people in singing. And in 2 Chronicles, uh, they're getting ready to go to battle. And Jehoshaphat is the king. And, and he's getting ready to send in uh, the first wave of soldiers. Except it's not the Marines and it's not the archers. It's the choir that he sends in. And they sing. And then in Zephaniah chapter uh, uh, 3, we are, we are told that God sings over us. Like a father singing a lullaby. God the Father sings over you. And in Jeremiah and Isaiah, both of those major prophets, they instruct us to sing. And then we get to the New Testament and, and things that I just had never really thought about before. Matthew 26, after the Lord's Supper, before the disciples cross the street, go to the Mount of Olives, go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray, it says, and Jesus led the disciples in singing a hymn. And, and then uh, we know Ephesians uh, 5 and Colossians 3 have verses that read the same. Uh, sing psalms, that's P-S-A-L-M-S, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And in Acts chapter 16, we see that uh, Paul uh, and Silas are in a prison cell. They've been beaten and thrown in prison. And it says, and at midnight, they were singing. So you can almost imagine in that case, okay, I just got beat up and I've now been thrown into a prison. Right? They are trying to climb out of this depressed mindset and encourage themselves and they are singing praises to God. So it turns out to be a bigger deal than uh, I at least appreciated. Now I didn't grow up in a family that did a lot with music. My parents were not very musical and uh, there wasn't a lot of encouragement for us to be musical. Let me just say when I did sing there wasn't a lot of encouragement for me to keep singing. But three things happened in the last few years that have changed my thinking about singing. The first is, uh, I have this brain injury that leads to a stroke, and one of the things that happens is one of my vocal cords is paralyzed, so I can't talk for a while. And then I get my voice back, but it's very uh, weak. As a matter of fact, I still have a vocal cord that is paralyzed, and so... If you call me and we speak uh, over the phone in, a, in sort of my normal phone voice, when I speak, 
uh, more quietly, my voice gets very raspy. So people will call me and, uh, and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, uh, did I wake you up? And I say, no, it's, you know, it's, it's 3.15. I've been up for 20 minutes or so. Uh, this, is my, this is my normal inside voice because uh, you have two vocal folds and they're supposed to go together. They meet in the middle. And a millimeter difference. I know a lot about this because they stick cameras down my throat repeatedly. And they're not small cameras. And the first time they wheeled the camera in the room, my wife started gagging and ran out of the room. She couldn't even be there. But if, if, if the vocal folds don't touch, if they're just a millimeter apart, then you get the rasp, you get the raspy voice. And so, uh, two things have happened. Uh, The most significant is that uh, we were praying that this right vocal cord would go back on. It didn't, but it grew out. All right, so we've got pictures, we've got film, we've got video, uh, and it grew out. So you look at the earlier videos and you can see that it, it, it's supposed to, they're supposed to meet in the middle, and this one is, is paralyzed open, and, but it grew out, so it's sort of permanently there. So uh, I still have, I, I still have a, a paralyzed vocal cord, but uh, when I'm preaching and I'm speaking in a louder voice, then my voice sounds fine. No one can tell. But four months, uh, I could not sing. And uh, I, I did, it wasn't even a thought that I could sing. And then I was uh, sitting right there one Sunday morning, and we were in a, I sort of lost myself in a sense in, at a time of praise and worship. And uh, so I started to sing. And uh, as soon as I started to sing, I thought, wait a minute, I can't sing. And, uh, oh, no, well, actually, I, I, I am singing. Now, I, I want to be really clear. Um, yeah, I can't sing. <laughs> so I, I, but I do sing. And so I just want to, and, and I think there's an opportunity here to sort of set the bar. So this is my singing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. So, join me. No. All the campuses, Zoan, Crossroads, Highland Park, let's sing. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So, a few things just happened here. One, I surprised you by singing. Uh, because we're very self-conscious as adults. I, I'm aware, trust me, I'm aware I do not have, there's a reason I don't lead worship, okay? I'm aware that I don't have a good voice. But I choose to believe, and I think on good grounds, that God hears my voice like parents hear the voice of a three-year-old. Singing with joy, right? And it's a wonderful sound. It's not melodically in tune and perfect, but it's full of joy and energy. So I sing for God, and I choose to think that God is okay with it. It's not Bono. It's not, you know, Whitney Houston. It's not, uh, it's, it's not like that, but I think we sing. And I think I've done a good job of setting a low bar for you to see that we sing. 
The second thing that happened is that you rehearsed words that you may not have thought about in 25 years. I don't know. Maybe you sing Jesus Loves Me Every Day. I I don't know. But my guess is that you haven't sang it in a long time. But it was there. Right? It was there. And those are profound words, by the way. When uh, Karl Barth came over to the United States in, in the 1960s, Barth was sort of the premier theologian at the time. And this is a time when theologians matter. They made it on the cover of Time magazine. They were important individuals. Barth was sort of the premier uh, theologian at the time. He'd written all kinds of things. The joke was nobody had read every book that Barth had written. Barth hadn't read every book that Barth had written. I mean, he was just very prominent. He came to the United States. He, he ta- came to Chicago, and he gave a lecture at the University of Chicago. So he preached in the chapel, the Rockefeller Chapel at University of Chicago. And afterwards, he answered questions. And, and someone raised their hand, a reporter raised their hand and said, Dr. Bart, can you summarize the millions of words that you have written in all these books and articles? Can you summarize them in a single sentence? And Dr. Bart said, yes, I can. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a a profound truth that you know because it was part of a song. A third thing that happened, I surprise you, you rehearsed a a very profound idea. A third thing that happened is we did something together. There was not just an expression of unity, but there was sort of a unifying thing that just happened as we came together with one voice around one song. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me back up here and say there's three things that changed my thinking about singing. The first one is I lost my voice, and when, if you don't have something for a while, you come to appreciate it when you get it back. Secondly, uh, I read a book by Keith and Kristen Getty, who are 40 years old. They're modern-day hymn writers. Now, just for the record, it's very hard to know how to exactly define a hymn as opposed to a worship song. In Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, it says, Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you go to the commentaries and you read all the commentaries, it's pretty obvious we don't know the difference between these. People are making it up. They, they, we can't figure it out. Uh, we generally tend to think of a hymn as being a little bit more classical, having a little bit more lasting power. So get the Gettys who are modern-day hymn writers, are very quick to say they love all kinds of music. They love rock music, rap music. They love gospel choirs. They love a cappella. They love all kinds of music. And they love praise songs, and they love hymns. And so what, what Keith Getty said in a lecture that I heard, he said, look, when I'm together with Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman and some of the modern worship writers, he says, we recognize that they're trying to write songs that capture the moment. And they know that the songs that they're writing are not going to last. They're not trying to write a song that's going to be around in five years, let alone in a hundred years. He says, when I'm writing a hymn, I'm trying to write something that's going to be around for a hundred years. So it's got to, we're doing different things. He says, but he goes, I'm, I'm in favor of all kinds of music. So I read a book by Keith Getty. I heard him lecture, and then I, I bought a book he'd written. He and his wife, Kristen, had written called Sing. And I was just sort of um, surprised, like, whoa, how did I miss this? Um, how did I miss this for so long? There was just a lot of 
direction that we are expected to sing. Sing is part of the way forward. Third thing that happened is I went to Germany a month ago on this Reformation tour. And so I knew before I went that one of the things that Luther had done that had, that had sort of fueled this, this reform movement that he was leading was he had, he had written theological songs to the tunes that were being sung in the pubs. So he, he took the melodies of the, of, the, of the songs being sung in bars and he, wrote, he gave them theological verses that they would sing. And uh, I knew that he had done that. When I got over there, I, didn't, I came to appreciate how significant that was. I, I, translating the Bible into, into the language of the people was probably the most significant thing Luther did. But it might be that, that getting people singing was a close second. And you have to understand that a hundred years earlier... One of the earlier pre-reformers, Jan Hus, had been put to death for, among other things, the heresy of promoting congregational singing. So you didn't sing at church unless you were clergy. And so I just came to appreciate the power of congregational singing, the power of singing. So those things got my attention, and I decided, I called not exactly an audible, but about a month ago, when I was still in in Germany, I sent a note back saying, changing the sermon schedule, I'm not going, I had another sermon I was going to give here, we sort of mapped these things out for months or a year in advance, and I said, no, I'm going to speak on singing. And so what I want to leave you with are five reasons why you should sing more than you do. Number one, God commands it. Okay, we've looked at that. If you need to write down a chapter and verse, Psalm 149.1, we'll give it to you. There's about 49 others, but we are commanded to sing. And, and I think, by the way, that that means even if you don't like the arrangement, even if you think the drummer is too loud, even if whatever it is, right? It doesn't say sing if it happens to be your style, your day, you like everything about it. Sing. Secondly, we should sing because God sings. And we were made in the image of God. We are to mirror the image of God. And singing is one of the ways I think we actually can do that. Animals can't sing. Right? I mean, we had a dog when I was growing up that would howl, and we would get it to howl. And, and when I sang, it would howl. Uh, so, yes, there's that. And there are songbirds that, that make melody, uh, but they're not really singing, right? They're communicating. It's not like they're emotionally engaged in what's going on. Uh, so, we have the opportunity... To, to add our voice to the sort of chorus of all of creation and the angels <laughs> and to sing and to exalt God. And uh, we should sing. A third reason that um, we should sing is that it's a gift that has been given to us. And if you read about the gifts, so you read chapters like Romans 12 and 14 or 1 Corinthians 12 or 14, Ephesians 5, if you read the chapters about the gifts that God gives to us. One of the things that you come to realize is that the gifts that he gives to you are for the benefit of somebody else. 
So if you have the gift of mercy or the gift of giving or the gift of leadership or the gift of teaching or the gift of hospitality, that gift is to be used by you for the benefit of other people. And so we sing often for the benefit of others. We sing for the benefit of others. You can imagine, I can imagine, a world with no music. But who wants to? It's like, I can imagine a world in black and white. But who wants to? These are gifts that God gave us that we should express. Number four. The fourth reason why you should sing is because it is not simply a an expression of unity, I believe it is a unifying event. Now, I want to be clear here. We don't unify around the music, right? We don't unify around a style of music. We unify around Christ. We unify around the gospel. But I believe that in addition to there simply being an expression of unity, that it cultivates some camaraderie and unity. When I left Germany a month ago, I went to Istanbul. We have, we, Christ Church has mission partners that we're supporting in Istanbul. Uh, they're working exclusively with refugees, Muslim refugees coming into Istanbul, coming into Turkey out of uh, Afghanistan and Syria and Iran and North Africa. They're, they're all flooding into Istanbul. So Istanbul's a town of, a town. It's a city of 20 million. And there are 2 million refugees in Istanbul. So it's a big humanitarian issue and crisis. And they're working with refugees. And it looks like we're going to be helping to plant a couple, to take a couple of the, of the groups that they've formed and to help them plant churches among those groups in Istanbul. There's some exciting things happening. I stopped in Istanbul. And, and I preached at one of these little fellowships that they've started. And then we went out to lunch. So it was three of us. Uh, it was the, the, the founder, the Armando. Armando and his wife Jan had been here for, for five years while they were doing their, their studies at Trinity. And they've been over there now for probably 10 years. So it was Armando. And then it was uh, Joel, who's on staff at Christ Church. Joel's mostly at the Crossroads campus. Joel and myself. And we're, we're walking uh, through the, the downtown Istanbul, and it's swarmed with people, lots and lots of people. And we turn down this uh, little side road, and, uh, and pretty quickly I get separated from the other two guys. And this is an issue not just because I don't speak Turkish and I don't know where we're going. It's an issue because I have been separated from them because we have ended up in a soccer rally. And there are hundreds of people all dressed in the same colors. They, there was, you know, a variety of different kinds of jerseys and uniforms they were wearing, but it was all red and, and orange. And they're all singing. And there's more than a little alcohol involved in this group here. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what colors their, their opponents are, are, are you know, what the team colors for the opponents are. But I hope I'm not wearing them because I'm not wearing red and orange at the moment and I don't recognize anybody. And this is a group that just looks like they would love to find somebody that they weren't in favor of. So I'm going, okay, uh, I got to find my group. And eventually I 
did. We went up, we went to a restaurant that was on a, uh, on a balcony, three floors, three stories above where this soccer gathering was. And they were singing for the next two hours. The Met still, it, this, it's now three o'clock when we're done with lunch. The game didn't start until seven. They're still singing and chanting. And as soon as the song would die out, there'd be a little bit of noise and some chants and some yells. And then another song would start. And we eventually left because it was so loud. It, the more people kept coming and coming and coming. And eventually we couldn't talk to each other three floors above this. And so it's like, okay, well, we're, we're, we're done here. So, so there was something happening with that song, right? I mean, their, their, their fight tunes, their pep rallies. I mean, there's, there's something that is an opportunity to sort of complete the thought. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his commentary on the Psalms, says that we praise something because it is praiseworthy, and it feels like we just have to say, that was wonderful, that was amazing, that's beautiful, that was awesome. We feel compelled to do it, and because that sort of adds to it, right? It sort of completes what's going on. I saw something amazing, I need to clap, I need to cheer, I need to be excited, because if I don't, it's not as good or as big as if I do. And I would say that when we do this together, there is this multiplying effect that, that comes into place. And so the singing, by and large, the singing that is commanded in the Bible is congregational singing. It's come into the assembly and sing. That doesn't mean you can't sing in the car, the shower, wherever you sing, right? I, I sing when the house is empty. That's when I sing. But you come together, we come together, and we sing. It is, there's, there's some sort of force multiplier there that, uh, that we gather, and one of the things we do is sing. The final reason I'll, I'll say that you should sing is because it's not just an opportunity for something transcendent to happen, which doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. But there is something transformational that can happen. So in the, in, in the Bible, we read that David, when he was a young boy, used to be called upon to play the harp for Saul. Saul would be agitated. He was the king. He'd be, he'd be unsettled. And they would get David because David could play songs that would help calm down Saul. You've had that experience, right? I mean, when a patriotic song is, is, is played, we feel patriotic. When the, when the high school fight song is played, we feel ready to, you know, ready to cheer on the team, right? I mean, there's, there, are, there are songs that put us in certain moods. And this is, this is sort of a given. Uh, Augustine said when we, when we sing, uh, we pray twice. Uh, there's a, a, a Scottish philosopher named Shepherd who said, uh, if I write a nation's songs, I care not who writes the laws, Right. If I get to write the music that people sing, I don't care what the laws are because that's going to shape the culture. There is something that, that, that transforms us. It goes deep. I, I am sure I'm not the only one to have the experience to, be, to go to the, the store with three things you're supposed to buy. And I can only remember one of them by the time I get there. And I sit in the aisle and I go, how could I forget? Because I know 
that without any effort, I can reach back and pull up all the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven from Led Zeppelin in 1971. Right? And I never even sang that song. I just listened to it at high school, at high school dances for, for four years. And at some point, it's there. Right? So, so, now, when I first came to faith, there was a lot of people suggesting that we had to be extremely careful about what kind of music we listened to. And there was a lot of people writing against and talking against rock and roll music, that it was satanic, and their, their proof was if you played the records backwards, you would hear, you know, demons screeching. And I remember being at one of those talks and going, that is really weird. Like, why would I ever play it backwards to start with? But anyway, so and then I heard somebody say that country and western music was all a ploy to undermine marriages in America, and you just go, okay, I, I'm not saying any of that. When, when I say this next thing, I, I, I want to say this. There is a sense in which music is powerful in the same way that I would say sex is powerful. It has a great potential for good. And things that have great potential for good have a corresponding potential for harm. And I just think we have to be aware of that. And, and so I think that, that in general, like the, the bulk of the singing that we do or of the, of the music that you listen to, you want, you want it to be music that takes you in a good direction, right? So I would say, by and large, I'm not against country and western music and rock and roll music and all kinds of music, right? We, we listen to music. I'm not saying that, but I think... By and large, the majority of our musical diet should be something that is praiseworthy to God or that moves us in that direction, encourages us to to be motivated to love and good deeds. There are a lot of other things that could be said about music. Um, It's important to note the New Testament says absolutely nothing about style of music. Uh, I think it's important to stop and, and realize that uh, we should teach our children to sing. Dads probably means you because uh, dads just have that kind of big effect uh, on their kids for whatever reason. So I, I would say there's a lot more there for us to think about. But let's not overthink it. The message here is sing. Singing is a gift, it's a tool, it's an opportunity for us to move forward. So I want to encourage you to sing. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing. Father, we thank you for music. We thank you that you are a creative God who, who, who creates music and color and all kinds of beauty and that we get to live in that world. Uh, I pray that we would be good stewards of the gift of music. I pray that we could use it to guide and direct ourselves to be formed in ways that make us more like Christ. Thank you. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.